Now, have you ever thought about all the people since the Jews have become a nation who've wanted to destroy and to annihilate them? They are the single most opposed ethnicity in the history of the world. But you cannot destroy them because just as God used the Jewish people to bring the first coming, he will use the Jewish people to bring about the second coming. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today's sermon is entitled, The Coming Antichrist. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 says, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Today, Pastor Carl will highlight the ruler that is revealed in this text of Scripture. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. If you're new to the Bible, it's easy to find. It's the very first book in the New Testament. And if you are joining us for the first time, uh, before we begin our next verse-by-verse exposition of a book of the Bible, I'm in a series that I've entitled God's Prophetic Schedule. This is actually the 12th message in this series. Right now, we're focusing on the events that will unfold during the Great Tribulation that will culminate with Christ's second coming to the earth. Maybe just to help us visualize where we've been and where we're going, as this chart helps you to see, there we go. Uh, you can see right now we're in a time frame known as the church age. Uh, God is building his church. The church was not found in the Old Testament. It's a New Testament phenomenon. And the next great event on God's schedule is the rapture, the catching up, when suddenly the Lord will take his people off the earth. And then the 70th week, shortly later, of the prophecy we're going to study, it's called the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, will unfold. It's seven years in length, and that seven-year time frame we'll see is divided into two halves. At the end of the seven-year-plus period, because the seven-year period doesn't begin with the rapture of the church, it begins with the signing of the peace treaty that we're going to study this morning. But when that seven years is over, Jesus comes back to the earth. First, he comes to catch up his people in the air. Then he returns literally to the earth. He'll fulfill the Old Testament prophecies where the Messiah will rule and reign. The length of that reign is given to us in the New Testament is a thousand years. The end of the thousand years, well, we'll study it when we get there. I told you this was going to be a 15-week series. It might be 20 or 25, so stay with me, all right? And we'll go all the way into eternity future. Now, we started with the rapture of the church. That's where we began in this series. The rapture is a signless event. No prophecies have ever needed to be fulfilled for Jesus to come and catch up his church. He certainly could have done it in the 5th century or the 10th century, but he did not. You say, well, what if he did it around 500 AD? Then he would have to regather the Jewish people from across the world and bring them back into the land. And he certainly could have done that if he had so chosen. But he waited nearly 2,000 years before he began to regather Israel. And that's significant. 
Even the Orthodox Jews across Israel believe that we are close to the Messiah's return. Why? Because they know their Bibles. They know that at the end of time, God would put the Jewish people back in the land and rebirth them as a nation. Many Orthodox Jews today, though they are still in unbelief and that they have not called upon Jesus to save them, they are more prophetically alert than, I'm afraid, the average evangelical Christian. So right now, we're in that time frame called the seven-year tribulation. And there's a chapter in Scripture that's dedicated to that. It's Matthew 24. We studied the first 14 verses, and we'll pick up again this morning on verse 15. It's a mid-event. It happens right in the middle of this seven-year period. That's why we knew verses 4 through 14 of that chapter applied to the first half of the tribulation. Because the abomination of desolation that we'll study this morning happens right in the middle of that seven-year time frame. Here's another chart to help us to maybe visualize it. Again, 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. It's a week of years, as we'll see, or seven years long. It's divided into two halves. And when the abomination of desolation takes place, things really, really get bad. I hope you have your Bible opened here to Matthew 24. And again, what we've done so far is we studied verses 4 through 14, and one of the themes in that concerns false prophets and false Christ. And we went back in our last session and zoomed in on that because there's going to be uh, more and more false teaching and false prophets as we move to the end of the age. And so we studied the entire book of Jude in our last session. Today, we're going to focus and key off of verse 15, and beginning now in Matthew 24, verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then, when the abomination of desolation takes place, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Now remember the context. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He had been teaching the masses earlier. Then four of his disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, asked him a question about the destruction of the temple and about his return from heaven. And one of the things that Jesus mentions, and this is the longest answer to any question ever recorded in Scripture that his disciples ask, he speaks of the abomination of desolation. Now, these were men who studied the prophet Daniel. They knew precisely what Jesus meant by that phrase. Maybe we're not so sure. Maybe you think the abomination of desolation is your husband <laughs> or maybe your wife. But uh, it concerns a person. And so we're going to spend three weeks on precisely what the abomination of desolation is. And to help us, it comes from Daniel's prophecy. It's mentioned three times in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, I will tell you, it's one of the most difficult chapters in all the Bible. <laughs> most pastors would never preach it. They think, well, the people can't get it. Well, you can get it. It may take a few sessions and further study for you to get it. 
but you can get it. Now, will you get it all? No. You know, teaching the Bible is like, well, it's like math. You teach a child their numbers and how to add, multiply, and you teach them long division and algebra and trigonometry and calculus. Well, Daniel 9 is calculus. <laughs> but, but let's get what we can because in every message, there's something for you, there's something for me, there's something for all of us that God wants us to apply. Now, Daniel 9, I suppose, is really the high point in all the prophecies that Daniel gives. Most would consider it the Mount Everest of his prophetic schedule. It's really the schematic for the book of Revelation, which is why we taught Daniel before we taught Revelation. And Daniel 9 really is God's outline. It's God's blueprint for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And it's a clear picture of how God will culminate human history up until the time of the second coming. Now, have you ever thought about all the people since the Jews have become a nation who've wanted to destroy and to annihilate them? They are the single most opposed ethnicity in the history of the world. But you cannot destroy them because just as God used the Jewish people to bring the first coming, he will use the Jewish people to bring about the second coming. And prophecy is really history pre-written. And this is one of the greatest prophecies here in Daniel chapter 9. So let me uh, first give the broad context and then we'll zoom in. Here is a chart of the book of Daniel I made many years ago. In Daniel chapters 1 through 6, the theme is Daniel and his personal friends. 7 through 12 concerns Daniel and his people's future. 1 through 6 is largely history with a little prophecy sprinkled in. Daniel 7, 9 through 10 is largely prophecy with a little bit of history sprinkled in. Uh, the first six chapters are described in the third person. The final section is described in the first person because these are visions, not that someone else was given, that Daniel needed to interpret. These were visions that God personally gave him. And what's interesting is that all of the prophecies starting in chapter 7 chronologically fit in and around the events of chapters 1 through 6. So there's four visions or four dreams in 7 through 12. Again, they're not someone else's. They were given specifically to Daniel. Now let's zoom in on Daniel 9. You might want to turn there because we're going to spend the rest of our time there. Again, if you're new to the Bible, just find the Psalms. That's about dead center. If you open your Bible to the center point, you'll be in Psalms and scan to the right and you will soon hit the book of Daniel. Uh, it might be useful to you as you learn your way around to use the table of contents. Don't be embarrassed by that. So in the first 19 verses of this chapter, Daniel is agonizing in prayer and in fasting. And he is seeking for God's uh, forgiveness over the sins of Israel. And he wants to understand what's going to happen after the captivity. Remember, God had prophesied that the Jewish people would go into captivity, that God would use the Babylonians as his servant, as his instrument. And so they were there for 70 years. And Daniel recognizes, like, we're moving towards the end of these 70 years. And he knows it's 70 years because Jeremiah 25, among other places, predicts that that's how long the captivity will be. And by the way, Daniel interpreted prophecy literally. When Jeremiah said 70 years, he knew that he meant 70 years. 
And sadly, there are a lot of evangelical Christians who apply a different interpretation principle to prophecy that you don't find. We find in the scripture how to interpret the scripture by the way the different prophets interact with each other and by the way the New Testament apostles and the Lord himself interacts with the Old Testament. And so beginning in verse 20 until the end of the chapter, God brings the answer to Daniel's prayer. Starting at verse 20, Daniel has this encounter with the man or the angel Gabriel. Angels always appear as males in scripture. So he's rightly called the man Gabriel. Look at verse 21. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Now, Daniel's prayer life reveals two truths to me. Number one, though he had been in Babylon for nearly 70 years... Babylon did not shape his life. To use a New Testament idiom, we often say, well, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Well, Daniel had been there for 70 years, but he's still a very godly man, 500 miles away from the place of worship. Secondly, the time of his prayer, the time of the evening offering. Why is that significant? Because that's when they came and they offered a sacrifice because you knew that you approached God on the basis of blood. And he understood that he had no merit of his own, neither do we. Old Testament Jews were not saved by animal sacrifices. They just prefigured what the Messiah would ultimately accomplish. They were looking forward by symbol to what the Savior would do as we look back to what he has already done. But none of us, can come apart from the basis of blood. They pictured, they foreshadowed the once and for all sacrifice. And that's why we end our prayers in Jesus' name. We're affirming his righteousness is the means by which we can approach the Father and the Spirit. Verse 22, he gave me instruction and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding to the vision. Daniel, kind of like David, is a man after God's own heart. He's much like the Apostle John, the beloved disciple. Verse 23 says, you are highly esteemed. The ESV says, you're greatly loved. The Net Bible says, you are of great value. The CSB says, for you are treasured by God. So while the Bible does not teach that God has favorites, nonetheless, this man is called highly esteemed. He is greatly beloved. Does that mean that God loved Daniel more than others? Certainly not. God does not have favorites, but God does have intimates. Last time, if you were here, we looked and studied the book of Jude, which is really a picture of how to spot false teaching, false Christ, and so forth. And in Jude verse 21, he admonishes us to keep yourselves in God's love. Or you could say, remain in the sphere of God's love. Now, for saved people, he's not talking about God somehow loving you more. You cannot do anything to make God love you more, and you cannot do anything to make God love you any less. He loves you, John 17 says, as much as he loves his own son. 
But God wants to change you, not so he can love you, but because he loves you, he wants to change you. He wants to make you and I like the Lord Jesus. And so obedience is the proof of our love. And so as Proverbs 3.22 says that God is intimate with the upright. God has no favorites, but he has intimates. I've come to tell you, Gabriel says to Daniel, I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. He's not yet received the vision. He's going to tell him the vision. He wants information concerning the Babylonian captivity. And he's going to tell him about the year the Messiah will come. He's going to tell him about some events that will follow after the Messiah all the way until the second coming of Christ. Most consider verses 24 through 7 here, here of the book of Daniel the backbone of all biblical prophecy. I preached four sermons just on these verses, and I'm going to do one sermon today. So strap on your seatbelts and hold on. In verse 24, if you'll look at verse 24, he speaks of six future events, and each event is introduced by a Hebrew infinitive. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. So he's, he's going to give the whole prophecy all 70 weeks. To finish the transgression, to finish, that's the first infinitive. To make an end, number two, of sin. To make atonement, number three, for iniquity. To bring in, number four, everlasting righteousness. To seal up, number five, the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now, it's important that we understand what he means by 70 weeks. I see some of you don't have a Bible. I'm assuming you don't own one. You should come to the next Meet the Pastor. You cannot grow off of your little electronic phone. Trust me. I had one of the first electronic Bibles in the world. I was asked to be a tester myself and a handful of other people. Today it's called Logos. You'll never grow up on an electronic Bible. You need a paper copy. I promise you it will help you to really absorb God's Word. And if you have the NASB, in your lap, you'll see the little number one before the little word weeks. Do you see that? And when it's of significance, they'll put that there. And if you go out into the margin, it will tell you its literal meaning, 77s. The word shavua means seven. So every time in these verses you see the word weeks, it's in reference to seven. Now, this word shavua is a lot like our word dozen. If I said 70 dozen have been given to you, you'd ask 70 dozen of what? And so when we read 77s literally have been decreed, you're going to ask 77s of what? Now, in most English Bibles, it does not say 77s, but it says 70 weeks, trying to help us to grasp it. But even that might be a little bit confusing to us as English readers because when we think of weeks, we think of a seven-day week. But in the Old Testament, there was not only a week of seven days, there was a year of seven days. And under the divinely inspired calendar, God had a seven-day week, and on the seventh day, they rested. It was the Sabbath. God also had a week of years where on the seventh year, they allowed the land to lie fallow. You might want to put out in the margin Leviticus 25, 3 and 4. You farmed the piece of land for six years, 
And in the seventh year, you let it rest. You had to trust God for your provision, but you let the land rest. So the designation week of years was a common designation. Now, why are they in Babylon for 70 years? Many of you already know because you've studied other Old Testament prophets with me. They're there because for 490 years, they disobeyed Leviticus 25. They did not on the seventh year let the land rest. And after 490 years of disobedience, and their disobedience led to idolatry, God said, I'm going to let the land rest for 70 years. And so it's not surprising. Here they are at the end of that 70 years, and Daniel's thinking, well, what's next? Are we going to back to Jerusalem? Is the Messiah going to return? And so just as God has dealt with 490 years in the past, now he's going to move to 490 years in the future, which again, contextually, it's clear he's not dealing with weeks of days, but weeks of years. So let's read verses 25 through 27 so we have a feel for where we're going. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So let me give an overview of these 77s on this chart. There's a decree to rebuild and destroy and rebuild the sanctuary in the city. Remember, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he flattened the place, totally destroyed it. A decree is going to go out to rebuild it, and there'll be a total of 69 weeks of years, as again we'll see, and the Messiah will come. Jesus is his name, he will come. God gives a mathematical prophecy on the time frame of when Messiah will come. There's a reason those wise men, probably no doubt from Babylon and influenced by Daniel, knew that they were in the time frame of the Messiah because of the Daniel 70 weeks prophecy. He comes to his own, his own receives him not. And Jesus addressed this. And so right now he has laid aside Israel, has not abandoned them, he's building his church. So we're in this interval between the 69th and the 70th week. After the church is raptured, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy will unfold and that's divided into two halves into uh, three and a half years each with an event that we're focusing on in these three weeks called the abomination of desolation. So verse 24 begins by giving us the scope. We're told of these six distinct events with these six Hebrew infinitives. Gabriel recognizes that Daniel's not one who's interested in summaries and sketches. He wants to know details. And God is going to give him details, and I'm grateful that he did. And so in verse 25, he underscores what happens in the first 483 years. 
Then there's this gap of time in verse 26, and then he will unfold what will happen in the last seven years. So beginning at verse 25, God gives us the starting point of the plan. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Now, don't get lost in this forest of theology. Remember, this section is not the milk of the word. This is a very meaty passage. And don't worry if you don't get it all the first time. Look, I'm still pouring over it in my own heart year after year, trying to understand it more fully. I haven't arrived by any stretch. But get what you can get and let God speak to your heart. The first seven sevens, Remember, 70 weeks, not of days, but of years, or 49 years. Then he speaks to the second part with 62 years, or 62 sevens, or 62 times seven is 483 years. And then the last is one seven, or seven Hebrew years. So God tells us there'll be seven weeks in 62 weeks for a total of 69 weeks from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. And since the context indicates that he's not speaking weeks of days, but weeks of years, we want to think through, well, how did this happen? Well, there was a guy by the name of Artaxerxes, and he issued a decree to rebuild the temple and the city. And history records that it took 49 years. So not only does the Bible prophesy it, history records that's precisely how long it took. And we'll see before we're done, the critics hate the book of Daniel. They say no one could have known this in advance. Well, if you start with certain liberal presuppositions that God can't foretell the future or reveal it to man, then you have to come up with secular reasoning. And so he gave a command. In fact, that's a firm date. Um, I used to have a copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica. I guess nobody has encyclopedias anymore. But you could go to the Encyclopedia Britannica, and it would date it as March the 14th, 445 B.C., or in the Jewish calendar, Nisan 1, 445 B.C. Now, a Jewish year, a Jewish prophetic year, is 360 days. They do not use a solar calendar. They use a solar slash lunar calendar, which is actually far more precise than the way we did it. If you remember centuries ago, it seemed like, hmm, it's kind of cold for this time of year. I think it's supposed to be a summer. And people realized that they were like off in the calendar, and so they restructured it. Well, the Jews weren't off. Because God had given a divine calendar, and I have a whole message on that. It's a sermon in itself. So if you take 483 years and multiply it by 360, you come up with 173,880 days. And I have a whole message on this, if this is something you're interested in. And where does it bring you to? It brings you to April the 6th, 32 AD, the day Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. If you enjoyed today's message, remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 877- and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 012. Don't forget that tomorrow Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. 
You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. Also, check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen to her podcast at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us next week as we continue to search the scriptures. Search the scriptures.